good to be with you today and just to be able to be here. And if you're watching online or those of you who are here who may not know um, who I am, I'm Pastor Diane. I'm one of the um, pastor, <laughs> Pastor Diane. I'm Diane Thatcher. I'm one of the pastors here at Meadow Park. <laughs> pastor's not legally my name. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, my throat is really dry today, so I am going to, Kyle reminded us that Jesus is our living water, so if it's not offensive to anyone, I'm going to set this right here, in case I need it. Jesus is my living water today. But I'm stoked as we're continuing our series, All In, Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. And we remember today that Jesus did go all in for us on the cross, and so we are all in for him as we love and follow him. And today we're going to be talking about, we're going to be focusing on loving God with all of our mind. And even as I say those words, I just want to acknowledge how high that bar feels. I mean, that's what the bumper video says, right? How high. And it's not really that phrase, love God with your mind. It's that little word, all, isn't it? And that feels really overwhelming. Love God with all of your mind. I mean, is that even possible What does that look like? You know, there's a lot going on. It may not seem like it. There's a lot going on up here. You know, I was on the internet. I was looking. I could not find any consensus on how many thoughts a person has, how many new thoughts a person has in a single day. This is the range, 6,000 to 60,000. Okay, come on. That's a big range. But let's just say we take 6,000. We all have 6,000 new thoughts a day. So... Let's say we have 16 waking hours, okay? We divide that. Um, so we have 375 thoughts an hour, okay? Divide 6,000 by 16. Am I right, Roger? Check me. Okay, all right. And then you divide um, 375 by 60. We have like a thought every six minutes. And if you divide that again by 60, we have a thought every 10 seconds. Right? Just about, something like that. Um, does that feel like enough? I feel like there's hundreds of thoughts going through my mind every second. But we can only, you know, uh, it's so hard to control all of those thoughts. And I don't know if you feel that way or the same way that I do. Um, but thank God for Wordle. That's all I have to say. LAUGHTER <laughs> How many of you are playing this, right? How many of you have played this already today? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what's the best thing about Wordle? The best thing about Wordle is you can only play it once, right? Isn't that right? Because why? Because if we could play it more, we would play it more, right? Yes, we would play it more because that's how our minds work. We're constantly consuming information. We're constantly being stimulated. We have all of these thoughts, and so... When I think about loving God with all your mind, I just think, is it even possible? Because as soon as I think it, my mind starts asking questions. It says, okay, what exactly does that mean? And I don't know. You know, there's stuff going on up here, and not all of it's pretty. I have doubts. I have negative thoughts. There are things from my past that come back to haunt me that I have to continually deal with. There are words, there are thoughts that go through my mind that I would be ashamed if you saw it publicly. Anybody relate? Sometimes I don't even trust my own thoughts. 
And I know we can joke, but I want you to know that I know that our thought life is a serious topic because I know that some of us are really struggling today in our minds, in our thoughts. A recent Gallup poll that was just taken February 2022 says the average person, despite all of the information and everything that's available to us, is more unhappy today than at any other time over the past two decades. And we hear on the news all the time that we're in the midst of a mental health crisis. Psychologists have identified what they call a negativity bias. And they say that um, that this is, is one of the reasons um, why we are so unhappy. And this uh, negativity bias, it seems that our brains react to negativity uh, quicker and more deeply than they do to positive thoughts. And they imprint the negative thoughts deeper into our minds. And these negative thoughts tend to linger longer in our minds. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what you walked in. I don't know when you're sitting at home watching online. I don't know what you're dealing with. There may be strongholds in your life. There may be thoughts that you're trying to defeat. Maybe you're hanging on by a thread. Maybe you need to hear a word of hope today. Maybe you need to hear that change is possible. Maybe you need to sing that song one more time, that we can hear dead bones rattling, that we can see God's divine power do the miraculous. Maybe you need to hold on to that thought that maybe there is a miracle waiting to happen right in this place today. Let's go to the one who can help us. God, I, I don't know what's on people's thoughts or minds right now. I don't know what each person walked in here with today, but I do know that you are the one who holds the power and you love us enough to help us to change. And so, God, would you open our minds and our hearts to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Mark 12:30 has been our core text. If you remember, it's Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he is quoting from Deuteronomy 6. So um, we have, uh, let's go with Deuteronomy 6 up there. And I want you to see, this is called the Shema. And Jesus is quoting from it, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What's missing? <laughs> with all your mind. Jesus adds this, and in all three Gospels where this story is recorded, Jesus inserts the words, with all your mind. So can we assume that Jesus is serious and intentional about this addition? I think so. I think so. Jesus, I think, is saying to us that our minds are essential to our discipleship. And that's important because throughout history, and even the church, there's this tendency that we have to think that intellect and faith are somehow juxtaposed to each other, that they can't coexist. But God doesn't ask us to turn off our brains to follow him. He does say that what we think and how we think matters. 
Matter of fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus is saying this. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he says that over and over. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, don't have angry thoughts about another person. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't think lustful thoughts about another person. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to think differently. And did you know it's okay to ask questions? <laughs> you can ask questions in church. Yay. You can be a person of faith and be a critical thinker. And I'm not talking about those who think they have the spiritual gift of criticism. That is something different. <laughs> what I mean by critical thinking is the ability to put aside assumptions and judgments to actively analyze conceptualize and internalize information. And it's important because accumulating knowledge is not the same thing as gaining understanding. And this is illustrated so well with this encounter of a man named Nicodemus and Jesus in the Bible. It's in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus is a Jewish religious leader. He's a Pharisee. And he's obviously been wrestling with the things that Jesus has been saying and the things that Jesus has been doing. And so he wants to talk to him, but he waits until dark. And when it's dark and no one can see him, he makes his way to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, look, I know that you're a teacher sent from God, and it's obvious by the miracles that you're doing that God is with you. And then there's a pause. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus doesn't understand. He's got all this knowledge, but he's stuck in the physical. And Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth, a spiritual rebirth through the Holy Spirit. But Nicodemus can't get there. And Jesus looks at him and he finally says, how is it that you're a respected Jewish leader and yet you don't understand these things? See, we have to be careful because we can acquire a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't guarantee understanding. There's no indication in this passage that Nicodemus ever understood what Jesus was trying to explain to him here. See, he had a lot of preconceived ideas about God that he had to overcome. What about us? Have you ever asked yourself, what preconceived ideas about God do I have? Let me ask you, what's informing your view of God? Is it your life experiences? Is it social media? Is it the opinions of your friends? Is it your family of origin? Is it Morgan Freeman? We don't know. Some of you got that. <laughs> to love God with all of our minds means we have to examine our preconceived views of who God is. Now, psychologists tell us we have a negativity bias, but the Apostle Paul tells us we also have a sin bias and we have to overcome it. He says, even as believers, we are prone to slip back to destructive thoughts and patterns and behaviors. And 2 Peter 1.3 says this, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. But in chapter 6, Paul describes the sin bias. In chapter 6 of Romans, he's painting this out. He goes, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he goes, look, You've been freed from the power of sin in your life. He's talking to believers. 
He says, Jesus' death and resurrection broke that power of sin in your life. Sin is no longer your master. So why are you still living as though you are a slave to sin? Don't you realize that is not who you are anymore? Our thinking needs to change. It says God has given us everything that we need for a godly life. And then Paul says, once Peter, once Paul, when Paul says, so live in the freedom of God's grace, Romans 6, 14. Well, how do we do that? How do we live in this freedom of God's grace? Well, he starts to give us some practical steps in Romans chapter 12. And he says this, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let God transform you by changing the way you think. So don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, or if you want to say of this age. He's saying don't allow yourselves to be pressed or shaped or poured into this mold. Don't become a copy of what the world offers. And remember, he's talking to us, to believers here. See, the problem is we have these amazing brains, but our thinking is flawed. Proverbs 14, 12 says there is a path that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Paul says, don't allow your thoughts to take on the patterns of this age. Now, I'm going to nerd out just a little bit here. I better take this because I'm going to go fast. Whew. Okay, is that all right if I nerd out just a bit? Because this is so amazing, all right? Research, you know. We have 100 million, no, we have 100 billion neurons in our brains, and each neuron has the ability to send and receive information, so it's called a neurotransmitter. And each neurotransmitter has the potential for making 250,000 connections. So that's 100 billion times 250,000 <laughs> equals a lot. <laughs> I can't do that math. But these connections are called neural pathways. And scientists tell us that these neural pathways, they form patterns, and these patterns represent any thought about anything that we've ever had. So a thought is a neural pathway, and these neural pathways are patterns. So the brain creates these unique patterns for different thoughts. So if you think the same thing, these lights light up in your head, this pattern lights up this neural pathway, and that's how the brain stores our thoughts. And so thoughts we have over and over again become these well-formed pathways in our brains that are hard to change. And I was trying to think how I can explain this to you, but I found a video of a gentleman who, um, you know, a lot of times we say, hey, it's just like riding a bike, easy peasy. And uh, he had a, an experience of, of trying to relearn how to ride a bike. So take a look um, at this video. I don't know where it stands, so you can see it. I had learned a life skill and I was really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. 
I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Salmon. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it. But that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic procession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often. But I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're going to try some trick or they're just going to power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. So here's what I did. It was a personal challenge. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike, and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. My son is the closest person to me genetically, and he's been riding a normal bike for three years. That's over half his life. I wanted to know how long it would take him to learn how to ride a backwards bike, so I told him if he learned how to ride a backwards bike, he could go with me to Australia and meet a real astronaut. Are you going to give up? No. Go ahead. This is how it starts. Look at this. This is such a big deal. Get up. You got it. Did you see his brain get it? So he, in how many weeks have we been doing this? Two weeks? In two weeks, he did something that took me eight months to do, which demonstrates that a child has more neuroplasticity, am I even saying that right, than an adult. <laughs> and we didn't show the whole video, but he actually goes to Amsterdam uh, later where he is introduced to a, a bike that functions normally and he can't ride it. His brain won't let him ride it. He, it takes him about 20 minutes to default back into the old pathway to ride that bike. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So we have these, these pathways, that, these, these um, roads, these trenches, these patterns that are engraved 
in our minds. For the most part, pathways in our brains, they're, they're beneficial, like riding a bike or like walking. If you see a baby, you know, they have to take first step and it's kind of like brains talking to the muscles and then you have the balance kicking in and you're letting go of things and you're walking and pretty soon, most of us don't have to think about the mechanics of walking anymore. It's like, have you ever left the house and you get in your car and you're going to run an errand and all of a sudden you're driving to work or you're driving to school and all of a sudden you're going to go like, whoa, what am I doing? I don't want to go here. But it's because your brain has this default pattern of something that you do every single day. And so it's taking you there. And Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying, pay attention to the thought patterns that you are creating because your brain can take you where you don't want to go. I'm stressed. I eat a brownie. I'm bored, seek a thrill. I have negative thoughts. I'm not smart. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not good enough. I will never be her. I will never be him. I will never measure up. I will never be loved. I have to dull this pain. Drugs, alcohol, pornography. Repeat these patterns often enough and these destructive Thoughts deeply entrench pathways into our minds, and these become the strongholds that we are battling. We need to pay attention. It's important that we realize our strongholds, that we can identify those strongholds. It's also important that we realize that our perceptions are not reality. We perceive the world through our individual filters. The filters are formed over time by a lot of different factors, and we usually don't even, we aren't even aware of our own filters. So it's helpful to remember that our perceptions can be misleading. And actually, Facebook is really helpful with this. Um, have you ever seen this one with the optical dots? Say, are they black? Are they white? Are they black? Are they white? Are they changing? Are they changing? I don't know. How about this one, Nat, uh, Nat Geo photo that's going around? Have you seen this one with the horses? Are they horses or are they zebras? So we think we're seeing black horses, but then if we look closer, we're actually seeing zebras and we're actually seeing the shadows of the zebras. So Facebook's great for that, right? Just to, just to help us, we do all these tricks, these mind tricks, and we hear different things when we listen on Facebook. You know, what are you hearing? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you seeing? It's just helpful reminders that our perceptions can be misleading. The biggest challenge is that we face today, I think, is the amount of information that we have to wade through each day, the amount of information that we are bombarded with. We live in an age of information. It's all around us. We consume countless hours of shows and podcasts and videos and ads and social media all day long. We have more knowledge at our fingertips than at any other time in history. And I think the challenge that we have to be aware of is that we are drowning in information when what we really need is transformation. Apostle Paul says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then we have to realize that it's God who transforms us. But I don't think God wants us to just be passive in that process. I mean, we're not necessarily passive when those thoughts are being created, are we? And so as God is transforming us, it's God's power. It's just like, oh, I love that passage in Ezekiel. You know, we see God's divine power, and he just, 
can um, come to Israel. You know, the prophet is speaking at a time when Israel has lost all hope. And God comes in and says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And so that is God's power, that divine power that is going to transform us. But then how do we participate? What are some practical steps that we can do to participate with God? You've heard the best defense is a good offense. It's true. What we think matters. And so we read in Philippians, think on these things. So trade what you're thinking about. Dear brothers and sisters, one, sisters, sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What are you fixing your thoughts on? Are you thinking about things that are pure and right and admirable and excellent, worthy of praise? If not, ask God to help you change that. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive. We are on the offense. We are going to be fighting strongholds. He says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Again, it's not our power. It's God's power. It's divine power. But we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. One of the things that I have done, and I'm just going to throw this out there. This is not, you know, necessarily... It's just something I thought of, put it that way. (laughs) So there you go. But when I am battling strongholds in my life, and I do battle strongholds in my life, and Satan accuses me and Satan attacks me, Satan comes into my mind and brings these things back into my mind, what I have found is that when I try to go after those negative thoughts, when I try to go after those, I find myself focusing more and more on them. And we've just learned that that's not a good thing. It creates this pathways in our head. And so what I have done is I've taken the decision to go on the offense. And when those Satan attacks or when those thoughts come into my mind or when I'm trying to battle those strongholds, what I do is I start praying for someone's salvation. And I've got my list of those that I'm praying for that need to know that God loves them. And I start praying for them. And the reason that I pray, it's a good thing, pray for someone's salvation, but I know when I'm praying for someone's salvation that I am praying absolutely in the will and the heart of the Father, so I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to pray about, worry about what I'm praying for. I know I'm praying in the will of the Father, and I turn my thoughts to that, and I begin to pray for that person's salvation, and time and time again, those attacks, those thoughts, they begin to fade away. They begin to attack less often. They begin to be less of a problem. Strongholds are broken because Satan doesn't want us praying for the salvation of believers. I firmly believe that. And then forge new pathways. We want to reframe. Peter, there's a story of Peter and James and John, and they go up on this mountain with Jesus, and Jesus is transformed. The word is like metamorphosis. Jesus takes on the glory and the, and the light of God right before them. And Peter sees this, and, and Peter's like, cool. <laughs> He's like, can we build three tents? And y'all just stay here. He's not even like thinking about what's happening. He's just trying to capture this moment and keep it there. And it even says, while Peter is speaking, God interrupts Peter. I have n- 
I don't think I've ever been interrupted by God. I don't know how that would feel. But he's still speaking. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so we have this. And then, you know, Peter, James, and John, they fall on the ground and they're terrified. And then later in 2 Peter, Peter is writing this and he has, he's reframed it. He's reframed it. He's like, you know, I missed it the first time. I had knowledge of Jesus, but I didn't understand what was happening. And now he's reframed it. And he says, we saw his majestic splendor, Jesus' majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father when we were with him on that holy mountain. And then he says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. We must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. And what I want to say is we have all this information that's coming at us, and we have scripture that we can use to reframe what is happening in our lives. We can take away, stop looking through the lens of social media, stop looking through the lens of our families of origin, stop, stop looking through the lens of our friends' opinions, and start looking through the lens of scripture to reframe what we are experiencing, to reframe what we are learning, to reframe our view of God and our view of what is happening in our lives. And so Peter does this, and he is looking through the lens of the transforming power of God. Nicodemus was intellectual. He was the guy who was supposed to have all the answers. I'm out of breath. But his knowledge, all the information he had, it didn't lead to transformation. When all is said and done, transformation is not about what we know about who we know. It's God who transforms us. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And I think we forget sometimes that this chaotic, confusing conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is the beginning context of Jesus explaining the heart of the Father in John 3.16. He says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is my conversion story. I heard that verse over and over. I don't know how many times I heard that verse as I was growing up. And one day, one day, just like that bicycle, that pathway that clicked in the guy's mind, one day something clicked in my mind, and I heard not God so loved the world, but God so loved Diane. That he gave his one and only son that if Diane believes in him, she will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son to Diane, not to judge Diane, but to save her. I want to invite you to hear that verse and to hear those words and to put your name there and to allow your mind and your heart and your thoughts to open up to God to understand that change is possible, but it starts with a relationship with God. When we move from knowledge to understanding, we move from information to transformation. We move from the what to the who. And with God's divine power, we are changed. Will you pray with me?
God. We want to know that resurrection power in our lives. We want to be that miracle that's waiting to happen. Lord, hear our prayers right now as we turn to you. As we invite you into our thought life, into our thought patterns. As we engage you to fight our strongholds. As we surrender. God, we don't want to try more. We want to trust more. We want to trust you. Believe in you. Father, when our thoughts betray us, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to just open our minds, surrender our thoughts, and allow the change, the transformation that you want to do, that you want to bring about the new person, the new creation that you are designing to happen as you change the way we think. You just help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.